Well, welcome to the Center for Ancient Christian Studies podcast. I'm your host, Sean Wilhite, and our guest today is Dr. Paul Hartog, and we're sitting outside in beautiful San Diego, California weather. Uh, we're here at the Evangelical Theological Society and Society of Biblical Literature um, week where we get to enjoy papers, uh, get to enjoy uh, meeting other, other scholars that are in the field of, of New Testament, of Jewish studies, and, and other ancient Christian, uh, Christian literature. Uh, Dr. Paul Hartog is currently Vice President for Academic Service, Dean of the College, and Professor of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. He has a number of books and papers published in academic journals and Studia Patristica. He is the author of Polycarp in the New Testament, published by Moore Seibeck, and Polycarp's Epistle to the Philippians and the Martyrdom of Polycarp, a part uh, of the OUP Oxford Apostolic Fathers series. Dr. Dr. Hartog, it's great to be with you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, if you, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to just hear a little bit of personal testimony, a little bit of your journey, mm-hmm. and and kind of what what got you interested into ancient Christian studies um, and patristic studies at that. Sure. Uh, ironically, when I graduated from high school, I wanted to be a math teacher, and uh, in college got interested in history and then focused on historical theology, took some independent studies just to have a way of fulfilling that interest, and then late in that became a little bit more focused on early Christianity. But it really became uh, my primary field of interest in a master's degree in history at Iowa State University. And so, um, kind of in that situation, became interested in particular in the second century. So that's kind of how that happened um, in my own life, being interested in the field. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Were there, were there books that kind of got you on to this journey? Um, what, what about like a specific text within the second, second century of that? Sure. Um, reading some of the primary text was an eye-opener um, mm. in my background. It often seemed like one skipped from the New Testament to Martin Luther and didn't think about much in between that. And so I really enjoyed reading the primary text. And I think that's a key thing for someone interested in the field is to actually read the primary text. As far as secondary literature, rather than a book, actually, the, I believe it was the opening article in the very first edition of Second Century hmm. Journal, which became the Journal of Early Christian Studies, right. was written by Everett Ferguson. And he was trying to make a case of why this field was important to study. Hmm. And I do remember sitting in the Iowa State University Library reading that and thought, this, this says a lot uh, that is true about what he's saying. And I remember that specifically as a secondary piece of literature that piqued my interest. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. So Everett, Everett Ferguson, just for our readers, is a premier scholar within the field, uh, comes out of, out of Texas and has written numerous, numerous items within, uh, uh, within the field. Um, what, what about maybe give us a little journey into your, your PhD time mm-hmm. and maybe who, who did you study with mm-hmm. and, and the topic, the, your dissertation topic and kind of where you went with that? When I was at Iowa State, uh, walking through the hallway one day, there was a poster for a new program being started at Loyola University in Chicago in New Testament and early Christianity. It was a joint program of New Testament and patristics, and it piqued my interest, and so I applied there and uh, was blessed to receive a fellowship there, which helped out. Uh, I studied under my main mentor, as far as the dissertation, was David Aune, who later left and went to Notre Dame. He was more New Testament side, but did some work in the Apostolic Fathers. Uh, 
Then Thomas Tobin was a secondary reader, and Daniel Williams, who is now at Baylor, was my third uh, reader. And Daniel Williams at the time was talking, uh, carrying on conversations about evangelicals and statistics and evangelicals and tradition and so on. So those were some interesting conversations, and I enjoyed uh, that. Besides the actual people in the classroom and reading my dissertation and marking it with red ink, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> um, as it J. J.B. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Lightfoot, I think, had uh, an impact on me just because as I became focused on the Apostolic Fathers in the second century, in one of, he has, he has this multi-volume set, and in one of the introductory essays, he talks about how his friends were wondering, why are you leaving New Testament studies mm. to work this much in all these languages mm. and all this background in Apostolic Fathers? And I'll, I'll get the exact wording wrong, but the yeah. metaphor was sometimes when uh, leaves working on the house of God, the temple, to work on Jerusalem's walls, <laughs> oh, wow. because they're also important, even if it's not the same level wow. as far as sacred scripture, that mm. these are important topics. Mm. And another example of you know, kind of the impact of reading that opening essay had on me. Right, yeah. Uh, 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 Stephen Neal and Tom Wright uh, wrote a book on the interpretation of the New Testament. And so that, that it's interesting that you kind of pull out Lightfoot. And I don't, I don't recall if they're talking about Lightfoot uh, per se, the, the, the comment that I'm gonna bring up, but as they're running, or as they're working through kind of 20th century scholarship, they throw out a couple of lines on the importance and value of studying, not only the Apostolic Fathers, but just the patristic literature in general. Not, not only solely for patristic itself, but for the value of the study of the New Testament. And, and so that's, that's kind of what has piqued my interest within, within the field. Uh, and, and maybe that, that kind of leads me a little bit. What, uh, as we look at a number of your, your publications, it looks like you focused some of your time on the Apostolic Fathers uh, uh, literature. And kind of would you mind just setting the scene? Who, sure. who are the Apostolic Fathers? And, and maybe even important for some of our listeners, why are they important for us? As far as who they are, it is, in one sense, a early modern construct, in a sense. Um, I forget the exact year, but it would be in the 1600s, 1700s, when we have like the first standard edition of the Apostolic Fathers. And some of them have been consistent throughout mm-hmm. Ignatius, Polycarp, First Clement, for example. Uh, but there's a very diverse body of literature. You have genre-wise, you have various epistles, such as Polycarp's epistle, First Clement, Ignatius's epistles. You have a martyr text, the martyr of Polycarp. You have an apocalyptic-type text with the Shepherd of Hermas. You have a church manual with the Didache. Um, you have a homily with the Epistle of Diognetus. And there's you know, some discussions about mm. is it a, a dual work that's now put together and so on. Um, and so, and, and there are others as well, but you have like the fragments of Papias and so on. But it's a very diverse uh, group of literature. As far as its importance, I mean, traditionally they're called Apostolic Fathers because it was said that they had studied at the feet of the Apostles. And some of them, you could make a decent case in you know current historiography that that is a possibility and perhaps a, a decent possibility. I think perhaps Polycarp would be one that one could make that case where that would not be accepted across the board in modern scholarship, but it is at least a case that can be made and put forth. Um, others I think would be hard to, to argue that way, of course. Um, as far as importance, they discuss the development of uh, some seminal theology at the time of worship and, and liturgy, 
like the discussions of baptism in the in the Eucharist and Didache, for example, the Lord's Supper. There are also discussions. I think perhaps more fascinating than my own uh, interest would be they're living in a uh, culture that was not was marginalizing Christians uh, to various degrees, and I think those are important discussions, even in you know with shifts in Western culture and thinking of. The, the broad topic of mm. post-Christianization and so on. In fact, in many ways, the Apostolic Fathers aren't like key systematic theologians at all. They wouldn't get into those types of topics. You also have issues of identity, community formation, social identity issues, uh, talking about you know, we are a third race type discussions will appear a couple of times. We are aliens and sojourners type discussions. Um, the reception of the traditions, including books now in the New Testament, I think that's another key topic in showing early use of New Testament documents. Yeah, no, no, that's great. And even just the third race idea, you know, I, I came across, um, you know, just in just my first readings of, of Diognetus, how ethical it is and how do we now as a new body, a new people group live within society and, and so they're really concerned with ethics and it's great. Um, I think maybe, yeah, that one, I think, you know, it's an apologetic text, but they would not divorce, and this is not simply of Diognetus, but others, of Justin Martyr, Athenagoras, and so on, but they would not divorce how your life is an apologetic, mm -hmm. as well as, you know, the case mm -hmm. that you're making. And definitely see those two things as tied right. together. Yeah, right. Yeah, one of, one of the, the apostolic texts that I, I find that I just can't get away from, I keep coming back to, is that of uh, the Didache. And just the, it, it just intrigues me, and I, I can't, I don't know if I can put a finger on, on why it does. Um, it's, it could be the simplicity of the Greek text. Um, it could be uh, just the richness in kind of the liturgy that's in the middle of the text, or even just kind of the similarity of a two ways ethic. Um, but uh, yeah, so the Didache is one of, one of those texts that, that keeps drawing me back uh, into the Apostolic Fathers. Uh, if, if we can, let's kind of sure. just turn, turn a corner a little bit and, and talk a little bit about your more recent works. Mm -hmm. uh, you have, uh, and I have here with us, uh, Polycarp's Epistle to the Philippians and the Martyrdom of Polycarp, an introduction, text, and commentary. And it's part of the OUP, Oxford Apostolic Fathers, uh, almost what I think is going to be a commentary series through OUP. And just to encourage our listeners... Uh, there are other, two other volumes that are currently out um, on on Second Clement and Diognetus by Clayton Jefford, and, and encourage you to pick those up or at least consult those as well. Um, if we can, Dr. Hartog, we'd love to just kind of hear your thoughts. What led you to be involved in this project? Give us kind of some insight in, in, in your involvement in this, where, where that all started. Sure. My dissertation was on Polycarp's use of the New Testament in his epistle, and a key argument I had there was, in my view, the unity of the epistle, and that then does affect dating, although there's some, I think, fluctuation now, even with a unified view among various scholars. But then, either way, it would be a very early use of the New Testament. And so, that was published in 2002, as you mentioned, the WNT series. Around 2004, I believe it was, um, Oxford Press came out with a two-volume set on the reception of the New Testament in the Apostolic Fathers. The Trajectory right. was the other title. And so I was invited to present a essay, an essay within that two-volume set. And from that, with some discussions about the players involved led to uh, this work with Oxford University Press. And that was kind of the background of how I came to that. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. And it's a it's a thick text. You actually deal with both uh, Polycarp's Epistle and the martyrdom uh, martyrdom of Polycarp. And obviously, just no small feat writing writing this text, and just a great service to scholarship, a great service to the church. And but you know, just maybe open open the curtain a little bit. What what were things you learned about yourself as a writer? <laughs> what were things you learned about yourself as a researcher and even a thinker as you're engaging this this, this material? Sure. Um, perseverance would yeah. be one key trait. <laughs> I did have right. to extend my contract uh, by a year or two as far as what we had first signed on for and then mm. the finished product. Um, just and the two doc, the two documents are so dissimilar in, in various ways. One is an epistle and you know if one were reading say a Paul in Greek it would be easy to pick up Polycarp in Greek with some extra vocabulary and so on. The Martyrdom is a narrative text and so it has uh, broader vocabulary, has questions of historicity type questions and you know, at what point is are there being some polishing going on of the historicity. So they're quite different from each other and my dissertation was on the epistles so in that sense I had a lot of catching up to do with modern modernism scholarship. I think that was a big leap in, in my preparation of the volume and not even to say I've arrived at all there it's such a huge field. But that that was something worth uh, worth learning. I also just kind of as a side note it may be very appreciative of someone let's say writing on a major New Testament commentary just because this was quite a bit of work but the secondary literature is nowhere near you know what the book of Romans or something sure, like, that. like right. that would be secondary literature wise and trying to do the major modern languages French and German and so on so it made me very appreciative for the whole process of writing a commentary mm. yeah that's yeah that's fascinating uh, you, you you mentioned a little bit just trying to catch up a little bit on martyrdom scholarship maybe um, if you can just give us a snippet of what, what is the status of, of martyrdom scholarship right now? Maybe key figures, key players. Sure. And, and, and maybe sometimes when we talk about ideas, sometimes we talk about secondary issues, but what are some of the systemic, uh, um, uh, systemic ideas within sure. the, the picture right now? Well, coming off of Lightfoot's work and uh, Theodore Zahn's work around the same time period, mid to late, late 1800s, there seemed to be a consensus coming up out of that in various field, various facets of Apostolic Father's research. Although there's some pushback here and there, it would seem that then in the early 1900s things became rather narrow, 155, 156 as far as the date of martyrdom, and that within a year the text itself was written. I think there's kind of a state of flux on some of those issues now, uh, although she is not focused on the martyr of Polycarp in of itself. Uh, Professor Moss at Notre Dame has done uh, recent work on martyrdom in general and would be arguing that the martyrdom of Polycarp is a third century forgery and so that affects of course the date of writing versus historical historicity type issues. Uh, my own view and actually it shifted in the, in the writing of the commentary would be that it was not written within a year of the martyrdom and I would still keep the martyrdom itself probably 155, 156 perhaps 160, 161, uh, but that the writing of the text as we have it maybe a couple decades later, but still second century. Uh, another key change, I think, in the scholarship has, and they are related in some ways, but moving past historical questions to social rhetorical questions. So rather than thinking of 
this is just about what we can know about an individual, Polycarp, and his uh, demise and execution, uh, thinking through how is it functioning within the early church community for which, or communities for which it was written, and their identity formation and, and so on. I think those are interesting avenues of where scholarship is moving. Yeah, yeah no, that's great. Um, you know, in, in reading uh, the 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 martyrdom text for the first time, you know, a, a while back, I was struck by gospel imagery, mm-hmm. and and we ended up having a little bit of dialogue. Dr. Hartog joined us uh, summer 2014 for a for a class that we or a kind of a reading group that we offered at at Southern Seminary. Um, but in that. Uh, the imitation themes seem to kind of kind of boiled up to the surface as, as we were kind of reading through the text. One of the items that Dr. Uh, Michael Haken really is, is impressing within his students is this idea of usable history. So the concept that, yes, we read ancient texts uh, for understanding them, understanding their, their, their time and their, their, their literature, but also having their voice speak into us today, you know, and try to influence, you know, even us as individuals, us as whole persons. And would just, would just be curious to hear, how, how does Polycarp, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, how does the martyrdom of Polycarp bring out some of these imitation themes mm-hmm. and, and kind of how do you see them actually relating to Polycarp and, and functioning within within the text? Well, the opening paragraphs, and let's return to, I believe it's chapter 19, but the concept of a martyrdom according to the gospel. And so there are various allusions and echoes to gospel narratives, not necessarily the case that can, you can tie it to a specific first text, mm-hmm. but to the imagery of, of the gospel narratives. And I think it, that's true, and it, I think it also goes beyond that to basic characteristics of a martyrdom that would be gospel-like or according to the gospel. Um, in my own view, it then ties into even not simply the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but Paul's writings, mm-hmm. especially uh, Philippians uh, chapters 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And I believe you yourself have added a First Corinthians text into that mix as well mm-hmm. um, about have your conduct be worthy of the gospel. It's also a double-layered imitation theme, which would be that we, that Polycarp followed Christ, and then we, speaking to the original readers, are to follow Polycarp. I think as far as usable history, we often, you know, even recently in the WWJD type yeah. thing, uh, and imitating Christ and so on, but in our culture and context, we don't think of in suffering, yeah. like imitating Christ in the midst of suffering is not something that mm. helps our own views of our own comfortability, but yeah. I think it's a key facet. There's an example where mm. second century church could teach us a lot about facets that don't immediately arise in our mm. view about uh, what it would be like to mm. be Christ-like and have conduct worthy of the gospel. But mm. as Paul says, the Apostle Paul, um, that has been given to you not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake mm. in that context of Philippians 1 and 2. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's rich, and it's and it's uh, it's intriguing. You you brought it up in chapters one and two of the martyrdom text that there's kind of this double imitation theme where Polycarp's sort of sort of speak imitating Christ and calling the people then to imitate Polycarp, and it, and it has this kind of twofold uh, imitation call to to the to the audience. Yeah, that's, that's great. If I could ask something else, I don't yeah. think when when I was skyped in uh, yeah. for. Um, half hour yeah, so for, for our that class. session. Yeah. Um, I don't think I addressed 
this facet, I could be wrong, but about a year and a half ago at a conference, I was also exploring um, the concept how a lot of various people have been talking about imitating Christ, so martyrdom is imitating Christ. There's another thread that weaves its way through, which is martyrdom is an election by Christ. Mm. And so in I think one of the texts you do have soteriological election in the martyr polycarp it would seem. But in perhaps a few others, it's election in the sense of chosen by God, or in particular the Lord was probably Christ for martyrdom. Mm. So that it kind of without tossing aside soteriological election issues, mm. it shows how the language of election at least in this specific text of the second century, is used in in fascinating, broader ways about uh, a divine election. It says he chooses from among uh, his followers the select few from martyrdom. And it's, oh, it's an example yeah. of how we don't tend to use it yeah. in, in that manner. And so it, it's interesting insights as far as then, then Christ isn't simply the passive object that we imitate, but that he's also sovereignly... Um, guiding all of the events of, of uh, a Polycarp's context. And so he's, as the one who elects, he's sovereignly watching over those things wow. and, and leading to that. So. Yeah, hmm. yeah, that, that's, that's great. And, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot if, sure. if, we, don't, if we can't find one, but would you recommend, it, recommend kind of any secondary text for us, to, uh, for us to continue pursuing that theme or is the work yet to be done? Well, that one, um, coming out of that conference, uh, there's a European journal, Pericoresis, that uh, just had that article put out. Um, so it's not, it's not, isn't completely fulfill the whole topic, but it's kind of maybe a starting point to kind of look into that kind of an idea. Yeah, so. yeah, no, that's that's great. That's a that's a great nuance to to bring out within that the, the martyrdom text. Um, Maybe turning another another corner, moving moving on from the Polycarp, because you you have a few works out, you have a few articles here and there. Are there any projects in the future for you? And maybe if you can forecast a little bit, what are projects that you envision yourself being involved in, or would like to see others be sure. involved in, to kind of help you in your research? Sure. And if I could go back one question yeah. and move forward, I just also yeah. remember there was an article that just came out this summer on imitation and Polycarp. And I forget the professor's name, but her case was talking about imitatio Socrates or imitation of Socrates as yes. well as imitation of Christ. So that'd be something else that just came out uh, right. this summer. Right, right. And Moss brings that out mm -hmm. in I think um, I think it's ancient Christianity, the bl her mm -hmm. black um, Yale text. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's great. Great. Um, going back to the other question, I am trying to branch out beyond Polycarp uh, some. <laughs> But it's been natural to do. I've done a few uh, article essay type things related to First Clement. Have a conference next summer related to Ignatius of Antioch, and then on that related to the epistolary side, on the martyrdom side, doing some work and essay article on Martyrs of Lyon, which is mm. a similar text, mm -hmm. one seventy seven probably, and then to the martyrdom of Pionius, which is also mm. Smyrna, but would be two fifty probably. Mm. So it's been kind of a natural movements in those cases from mm -hmm. Polycarp to Ignatius, First Clement, mm -hmm. Martyrs of Leon, Martyrdom of Pionius. So. Yeah, that's great. Will you engage uh, with Lifton at all in his recent work on martyrdom? I, I was able to read through the proofs of that uh, prior to publication and, and enjoyed that. Uh, it, they're brand new translations, so it's yeah. recommended to pick that book up. Um, 
set a, a good sales price. Yeah, um, which is always always <laughs> great. For always good, unlike <laughs> unlike some other books yeah, that yeah. are prohibitive in their cost. <laughs> um, but yeah, so highly recommend that book as far as the helpful introduction, but just the, the fresh new translations. I was very grateful for those. Yeah, no, that's yeah, that's that's wonderful. Um, yeah, I know uh, one of my colleagues, Coleman Ford, has has engaged the book and has thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Um, what, one of the one of the aspects that we're trying to accomplish with this center is really trying to help students as well. Uh, we have just a concern for their spiritual formation, their growth in virtue, but also their growth as an academic. And, and we want to encourage the next generation of scholars coming up, and we want to encourage good, rigorous work that that really does engage the conversation. Um, which, which is sometimes very hard. It, it takes the discipline of just sitting down and, and thinking hard through different multi and multiple theories as well as wrestling with the primary text. Um, and so maybe if, if you could, if you, if you were able to sit down um, two minutes, three minutes with maybe a master's, an MA student, or even a PhD student, what, what would be you know, a few things to encourage them in their scholarship as they're as they're as they're kind of working in and working in the field. Mm -hmm. a, a couple of points I would say: language acquisition would be a key issue, so that to work in the field besides Greek, which those, for example, transitioning from New Testament to uh, early patristics would also need Latin for sure. But we also need people working in Coptic and Syriac, mm -hmm. and of course, then the, the modern language, the uh, German probably the most important than French and patristics Italian is more important than traditionally has been New Testament studies so it's always helpful to any chance one has to pick up new languages to do that the other thing I would it, there's a difficult line I agree with the issue of usability of history you also want to approach the text on their own terms and not want to make them sound like what I want them mm -hmm. to believe and sound like and I think that that scholarly ability of, of being approaching the text in an empathetic manner that lets it speak for itself and and even if I disagree with what they're saying I don't want to change it to make it look like it's agreeing with me type of a um, situation and that's perhaps more of a danger with second century texts when we want what we believe about uh, theology arising from the New Testament to be what we want to see there and right. find there so that would be a, perhaps something else as far as the big scheme I guess the bad news would be that there aren't a lot of academic openings per se if one's final goal is to you know, be in a professoriate and so on um, I think that it, the good news I think it's changing more seminaries for example are we have a church history opening we'd really like to have a patristics person so I think there's some good news there I think there's something to be said about you simply love the field and so you want to learn about it and we need for example well-educated pastors who are engaged in the life of local churches perhaps adjunctly teaching um, in seminaries on sense it's hard to uh, in some cases have a full-time position um, but to combine make some creative combinations and things like that and I think that's that's good for a lay people as well to hear well-informed discussions about these things so mm -hmm. in that sense the bad news is perhaps there's not a lot of openings per se the good news is I think if one is creative and has a big a big broad picture of things that there's lots of of need uh, for people to understand this time period and its mm -hmm. importance 
and to get involved on a scholarly level and to then disseminate that knowledge to others. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the common themes we hear is language acquisition. That's been kind of running, a running theme. Uh, Dr. Haken, I remember asking him kind of the first time, just trying to figure out like if, if entering, in, entering into this field, what are languages we should know? And, and I, I remember the conversation that I had with him quite well. He says, I ought to know German, Latin very well, uh, um, a smattering of Syriac, and French, German, and Italian, and just the, the daunting effect of hearing that. Uh, but if, we're, if we want to seriously engage the literature, um, we have to be able to read articles and engage, and engage that, which requires hard work and the discipline of, of doing that. And just to encourage our, our weary language learners, uh, we, we want to encourage you to keep learning those languages and, 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 and continue excelling in those so as to engage works um, that are beyond just English literature and, and whatnot. So, Dr. Hartog, is there any final comments you, you want to give? Uh, any, any other last pieces of wisdom? Um. Uh, last piece of wisdom, I think, coming from the primary text that, as I mentioned before, but could probably hammer here again now, that there's a, a very strong sense of not divor divorcing virtues and that sense um, ethics, or one could even say perhaps a form of virtue ethic, from a theology in these, especially in second century texts. And so they themselves, because of that, they would give us various wisdom, not to say that one would agree with everything found in these second century texts, but they are worth listening to and, and to develop both character as well as some theological understanding. So. Yeah, well that's great. Dr. Hartog, we very much appreciate you giving us your time and being able to have this conversation. Thank you very much, appreciate it.